Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Romans 7, 14 through 25. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. So this is Brandon Cook. I just feel like I should just hey, hey, get up here, guys. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Stand up uh, tall, guys. So Brandon Cook is a uh, he's a pastor over at Long Beach Christian Fellowship. Um, you are a wonderful human being. And here's this is what I want to say to you. So I'm introducing him because he's preaching to us this morning. But really, I want to say thank you because many of you don't know this, but about three months ago, um, I think it was Brian Chung who got up here and read a letter from. Um, pastors around Long Beach that were wanting to encourage us, and thank you, Brandon, for taking a very active role in writing that letter for us. It's been an incredible encouragement. So, yeah. so, so I just wanted to thank you, and I just want to say what a treat it is that we have Brandon with us. So. Thank you. Wow, I'm so glad to be here. Woo! I got to just enjoy this moment. Thank you for that story. Thank you. I was inspiring and sobering, and kids will know that they're loved. doesn't get much more simpler, more profound than that. And I will ruin the profundity by, I just, as I was walking up here, I remember last time that I was here, someone afterwards said, that was great, that was great. You really slouch when you're talking. So I'm going to try to stand up very (laughs) straight and tall. I really am glad to be here. It's really fun and an honor at the same time. So thank you. I'll tell you something about that letter. I, I felt like I witnessed a Long Beach miracle. I, uh, you know, when you send out a letter like that um, to a group of pastors, I was thinking, okay, it'll take about a week to hear back from everybody. And if we hear back from, say, 75%, that'd be good. And I've got some experience 
in this domain. I thought 75% would be good. Any more than that would be great. I send the email as Wednesday morning, about 8.30 on a Wednesday morning, and by 11.30, everyone that I emailed had responded back. I've literally never seen anything like that and, uh, in, ter- in terms of Long Beach pastors. And it just, to me, it was such a clear witness of, oh my gosh, there is such passion in the city for you, such belief in you, and such prayer for you. Because the response was so overwhelming. I mean, the response is, oh, this is great. I'm so excited to be a part of this. So know that uh, you are loved, you are needed, uh, you are highly regarded in the city, and uh, there's great prayer in the city for this community in the midst of so many transitions, and I know what has been, a, in some ways, a season of, of trial. So, <clears throat> ooh, that's loud. All right, let's wake you up. Um, I'm going to give a message this morning that I love and I don't like at the very same time. I, I love it. I think it's uh, from Scripture and bears out what Scripture says. I think it's borne out in our own experience. But I'll just tell you at the outset, I don't really like what I'm about to teach. So, we read from Paul this morning. Don't you love that? I'm all too human. I don't understand myself. I'm like, oh, I understand, Paul. I'm with you. But Paul also wrote to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, we don't lose heart. Because even though inwardly, or excuse me, outwardly, we're being stripped away, inwardly, we are being reborn day by day. Anybody relate to that? feel like I'm dying, and yet God is with me. I tell you, for me, I, I've been in a, a season of grief in the last year and a half, maybe the last three and four months more particularly, because I've had this narrative about life that is, man, I've been following Jesus for a number of years now, and basically, I think what's going to happen is I'm going to keep getting... I'm going to kind of get some mastery. I'm going to get better and, and better. I'm going to figure things out. I'm going to take care of my issues. And I'm basically going to reach this plane of existence where, yeah, I've still got some issues, but I'm really living above it all. And I've, I've kind of arrived. Now, I know that's not true, but I kind of believed it and really wanted it to be true. But then in the last few months, what I have slowly, begrudgingly come to accept is, oh, there is no plane that I'm going to climb onto, and there is no... There is no magical place where I have arrived. What's actually going to happen is I'm going to discover more and more all my imperfections, all the ways that I'm unsorted, and I'm going to let God hold me in that place. And I could feel as I came to this acceptance, oh, this is good, this is right, this is of the Spirit of God, and I really don't like it. Like, shoot, I really wish this other story was true, because that would be so wonderful to not have to have God hold me, and it could be all about me, and what a great person I am, and people will really like me. I've been in real grief as this belief, or this desire that I've had, has died all around me. It's wonderful, and I hate it. And I have never experienced in my life the coexistence of joy and sorrow. It's like a Venn diagram, except the circles are completely overlapping. Lapping. On one hand, I feel like I'm dying. On the other hand, I feel like I'm being reborn day by day. And I think that's partly what Paul gets at in this passage in Romans where he's, he's wrestling. He's wrestling with himself. And I think that we, even if we have really good theology that God is love and Jesus came to show us grace, that you and I still struggle 
to be held by God, even if we believe the right things about Him. I mean, many followers of Jesus, they know the theology, they know that God unconditionally accepts us, and Christ came to bring us into right relationship with God when we were still sinners, and we weren't worthy of it, and yet we still struggle with this reality of, wait, wait, not me, what? Us? You don't know what's happening within me. How can this be true? How can God's grace reach me and be true for me? And actually, what is required is a completely new way of thinking. I mean, if you think about your brain as a bowl, I mean, the battles of life happen in our mind, right? Most of them. Think about your brain as a big bowl, and God is is continually pouring His grace and His presence into that bowl. But let me tell you, if you've got a big, nobody has a perfect bowl, but if you've got big holes in in the bowl of of your brain, just go with me on this metaphor, okay? I'm working hard here, just, okay. Then that presence of God is just gonna, you're not even gonna feel it. I mean, God could be pouring into your mind, I'm here, I'm with you, unconditionally, but if the hole in your brain is, there's no way, not me, there's no way I can be accepted or held by God, then you are not gonna be aware of the nearness of God's presence. The battle is in our minds. Paul himself says in Romans, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Find new ways to think that are in line with the Spirit of God so you can hold the work of God. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but go with me on that too. So I love this text that we just read from Romans 7. I so relate to it. I love that Paul is giving us a glimpse of his struggle. I'm all too human, he says. I don't understand myself. Why do I see this thing? It's good. I want to do it, and then I go and do something else. Anybody relate to that? Oh, there's this thing, and the law is good. I have this moral sense from God, and Scripture tells me what's up and down, and yet there's this thing over here, okay, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I'm going to go do that. What is that? You can hear the despair in his, basically, what is wrong with me? And how do I get out of this way of living where I'm trapped in these cycles? So I'm grateful the Scripture gives this very sort of vulnerable, autobiographical glimpse of the person who, by the way, wrote the majority of the New Testament Scripture. And you see him in struggle here. He's writing to the church at Rome and he's telling them, hey, nobody can keep the law perfect. That's part of the, the point of the, of the book of Romans is nobody could keep the law, only Jesus, the perfect one, who has done it for us. That's the gospel, that Jesus is the King that we come into right relationship with God because of His grace and power on our behalf, so that if you're in this room today and you're not in right relationship with God through Jesus, you can find forgiveness for sin, all the things that you've screwed up, and you can find an invitation into a new way of living. I mean, my gosh, how can you be so good, God, that this is the invitation of the gospel? And yet, just like Paul, we still struggle to be held by the full reality of it. I'm still wrestling guessing you're still wrestling. And really what Paul, he presents this beautiful both and. I've got this sinful part of me, and yet in God, I'm accepted. As he'll say in the book of Ephesians, I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm a sinner, and I'm a saint. How do I reconcile this tension? Now, think about in Scripture and in Christian tradition, how often... We are invited and trained into a way of thinking of holding these sorts of tensions. I mean, Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Jesus is human. What? Tell me when you get that resolved. That that completely bakes our noodle, right? What? God is three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is one. 
What? God is transcendent. He's completely other. God is imminent. He's completely here. It just, you see the tension and they just keep going and going and going. God is sovereign. We have free will. We make choices. How does that reconcile? The church is the vessel of God's grace. The church is often completely messed up. Going to get an amen. Right? And they just keep going. I mean, Jesus says, <clears throat> if you deny me before men, uh, you'll be denied before the Father. But then she, uh, Peter denies Jesus, and Jesus restores him. How do you fit these things together? And as I already said, Scripture makes it very clear that the place of suffering is the place of joy. How do we reconcile that? So we're given both ands, training into a way of thinking that is not natural to us. Especially because you and I, we live in an either-or world. And it's only getting increasingly so. And our technology is only increasingly training us to stop from thinking altogether and just take a side. Right? Go to Facebook for five minutes. Watch the conversations. It's a microcosm of something that's happening in our society where we don't know how to think or have conversations anymore. We just take a side. It's this side. It's side A. And anybody on side B is an idiot. No, no, no. It's side B. And anybody who thinks otherwise is immoral. And these sorts of stratified binary positions just get reinforced. Black lives not matter. No, 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 no. Blue lives matter. As if those are opposed to each other. As if it's not a both and. As if it has to be an either-or. But it's just more comforting to say A or B and then take a side and feel right. When's the last time you heard somebody say, said, say, thank you so much for that angry political rant on Facebook. You totally changed my way of thinking. <laughs> and I'm so grateful. It doesn't happen, right? And yet that is the world that we uh, live in. So one of my favorite metaphors from... Uh, art is uh, Javert, this police inspector from Les Miserables. This is an either-or guy. You're either good or you're bad. You're righteous or you're a criminal. Everything is about the law. Everything has a consequence. And at the end of the, the novel or the musical or the movie, there's a scene where Javert comes face-to-face -face with Jean Valjean. Don't you love my... I, I want to... Jean Valjean. Oh, I've got to get some French accent in here. My apologies to all the French and French-Canadians. Uh, where Javert comes face to face with Jean Valjean, and Jean Valjean has a chance to kill this man who has been hunting him down. And Jean Valjean, this hardened criminal from Javert's perspective, lets Javert go. And he does not know what to do with the grace. He, he had a chance to kill me and he let me go. That doesn't compute. He is a hardened criminal and yet he has shown mercy. And he stands on this bridge over the Paris sewer and he's trying to, to reconcile this tension and then he just... He jumps into the water. He, he chooses death over living in the tension of something he doesn't understand. I love the metaphor because it's us. How, I mean, Paul himself says the gospel is a, a scandal. It's something you stumble over. Wait, 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 what? What? Me? Accept that in the beloved? Because coming to God, coming to Jesus, whether you're coming the first time or the millionth time, always requires this sense of awe and wonder of how can this be so? I can't resolve these tensions. This doesn't compute. And we all come to places where our either-or thinking will break down. 
Ooh, if I can be good enough, then God will like me. It's much easier to live in that sort of story than it is to say, I'm not good enough, and yet, whoa, Christ is here. So uh, what do we do? What does Paul do? Well, did you catch at the end of Romans 7 this beautiful move that he makes? I mean, he's caught in this either-or. I do these things that I don't want to do. I don't want to do them, but I still do them. I see the good that I'm supposed to do. I don't do it. Who will redeem me from the body of death? I mean, he's in this struggle that is the struggle of the people of Israel. Maybe it's our struggle. I've got to keep the law. I've got to get everything right. How can I be a sinner and a saint? And then he makes this beautiful move, and he says, I give thanks because the answer is in Jesus Christ, my Lord. He actually doesn't resolve the tension himself. He gets his eyes off of himself, and he says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Somehow, God holds me while I'm in these tensions. This is actually, you know, the theology of the Bible. This is the theology, for example, of the book of Psalms. That book is all about God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? And yet, I know that you're good. Okay, I'm going I'm to trust you. Even when I don't have things re- resolved. I'm in lament. I'm in sorrow. But I know that you're good. Okay, I'm going to worship you even though I'm not sure how everything is going to resolve. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> that that's the spirituality we're asked to walk in? My outward man is perishing and yet I'm being reborn day by day in the midst of all this tension. Uh, this guy, Marvin Wilson, who's a scholar, he, he wrote one of my favorite books, Our Father Abraham. And he talks about how Hebrew thought, the way of the thinking of the people of Israel, is so different than, than Greek thought. And in Hebrew, you know, Greek people, which we are very influenced by Greek philosophy, we want to resolve everything. A is to B is B is to C, therefore A is to C. And we want to have everything perfectly figured out. And in Hebrew thought, there's a much greater capacity for paradox. You have one thing over here that seems to contradict this. I mean, God is sovereign. We have free will. How do I get these boxes together? God is good, and yet there's suffering in the world. Oh, how do I resolve that? Well, uh, Wilson calls the way of Hebrew thinking this block logic. That we don't mass the blocks together. We actually lift them both before God. And we trust that He resolves them at a place beyond our understanding. Now, my friends... This is not for the faint of heart. And Jesus said that following him was not easy. Praying the prayer to follow him, to re- receiving him is actually pretty easy, but following him, he said, is a narrow road. Because it great, takes great trust to trust him with those tension and great trust to say, these things resolve above my head, and yet will I praise you because you're good. Even when I don't have it figured out but it's trusting in the midst of not having it figured out that actually transforms us. And I love that. And again, I don't like that. I wish it was different. But when you have your hands raised like this and you're holding the two, the tensions above your head, where are your hands? They're actually raised in awe and wonder. They're raised in worship. As the psalm says, may the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. This picture of trust. And Jesus himself is the ultimate embodiment of this way of thinking and of this spirituality. Father, I don't want to go to the cross. Nevertheless, your will be done. 
and I'll trust the tension to you. I mean, Jesus himself on the cross is the very picture of holding tension. And he's the one that receives the resurrection life of God. Of God. So I've got, I've got sobering news that Jesus himself enters into this tension of trusting God. And if our Lord walks this path, path then how much more will we, his disciples, be called to follow him? But the great news, the good news, is that the joy in this place is greater than the sorrow. It really is. And the kingdom breaks forth in song around us as we trust God in this way. So, if I asked you, okay, friends, where does joy come from? In fact, think, how does your brain fill out that answer, that question? Where does joy come from? Maybe you'll think, well, from good work or loving others, loving God, and all those things are true. But how many of you would say, well, from suffering and tension and hardship? But holding these tensions is actually how God builds His life into us and transforms us to look like Him. Don't you hate that? And don't you love it? That's why James can tell us, hey, consider it pure joy whenever you encounter many trials. What is this guy talking about? That's why Paul can say, rejoice in your weakness. And we ask ourselves, what kind of magical mushrooms were these guys eating back in the early church that they have? What are you talking about? Rejoice in your weakness. Uh, But they're actually grounded in the Spirit of God. And Paul, when he makes this move to say, I give thanks to Jesus Christ, he's actually now living in the both and where he's open to God. I'm a sinner and a saint. How can you be so good? Let the focus be on you and who you are. So it's actually tension. And a new way of thinking where we hold seeming opposites in tension uh, that God is able to perfect us to look like Jesus. My invitation then, I think it's the invitation of Scripture, is what if we learned to be in the tensions of life with thanksgiving, even when we don't like it, so that we could be absolutely transformed by the nearness of Jesus? This is not for the faint of heart. But if you want to follow Jesus, this is what is asked of you. I I want to read this quote from Carolyn Arends, which says it far better than I can. Listen to what she says. When we are asked to hold two seemingly opposite truths in tension, we experience confusion, which can be painful before we get to any sort of cohesion. So we often bail and settle for one pole or the other, congratulating ourselves for taking a stand, but losing at least half of what God has for us in the process. Most of us would like our faith to reduce tension, but according to Jesus, who told us to be anxious for nothing, but always alert to be last in order to be first, to be weak, to be strong, and to lose our lives, to find them, tension is required. I love this. I don't like it. So... um, before I ask you to respond in prayer, I'll, just, I'll tell you um, a little bit about how this is playing out in me. Um, not because my story is so significant, but because our stories all are meant to partake in this bigger story that God tells. And like I said, I've been in this place of grief. and um, Because one of the things that I determined early on in life was, okay, I'm not going to get the comfort that I'm wanting, needing, like, it's not happening. I'm crying myself to sleep night after night after night as my parents are fighting. 
some point I determined, okay, nobody's coming. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be strong. And I will be what people need me to be, and I will figure that out. And if I can do that, then I can hold everything together, and I'll be safe and secure. I didn't, I didn't know I was choosing that. I didn't have language for that. But that's what I chose. And then I become a pastor all these years later. Fast forward, our church goes through these great controversies. We actually call it the great controversy of 2017. <laughs> it's not quite funny yet, but it's getting there. Um, <laughs> We had a bunch of people leave our church for all sorts of reasons. We had uh, big conversations about LGBTQ sexuality, which was tons of fun. Uh, it actually was very, it's been very fruitful and good, but it's been very intense. And, um, but, but in the midst of it, that could have been any issue, people are leaving. And then what's triggered in me is, wait, hold on, hold on. I can, I can figure this out. I can hold it together. I, I can be who you need me to be. And then the church will be okay. And, and as it was as if the Holy Spirit coming alongside me and placing his hand. It's like Jesus himself placing his hands on my shoulder and saying, actually, you can't hold this tension. Only I can. And I never wanted you to have to hold this anyway. This either-or way of thinking that if you don't get everything right, everything is going to end. That's not the fullness of my kingdom. So slowly, I'm laboring into this reality of, okay, I can't, make, I can't please people. I can't make everybody happy thanks be to God, and I'm going to be completely okay in this tension of being a flawed leader, human being, who was deeply held and loved by God. And I love that. I still don't like it all the time, but I'm learning to love it. I don't tell any part of my story again because it's so significant, but because each of our stories is called into the bigger story of God's resurrection life. And the only way we step into that resurrection life is if we're willing to be in the tension and not run away and hide and not go numb out with a six-pack of whatever, but actually be in the tension of, okay, this is painful, and my God is the God of resurrection. So yet will I trust Him. Grace, community, you are deeply loved in God. You have a great future ahead in this city, in your lives, in your neighborhoods. I pray for you that you be strengthened in your inner person, that though your outward person is stripped away, you be reborn day by day. And I want to simply invite you into a space of prayer as we prepare to come to the communion table. Would you take a deep breath, close your eyes, pray with me. Like Paul, we need practices that can get our eyes off of ourselves and onto God so our brains can stop circling in endless confusion. Instead, we can rest by saying, thanks be to God. So come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Father, into the space of prayer. Jesus, you are the picture of the one who was able to to walk in perfect tension before your Father. And you tasted resurrection life and you have freely given us that life in you. So as we pray, I invite you to bring to mind something about your life that is unresolved. Where are you in tension? Where do you have questions that seem to have no answer? Where do you have pain and you're not sure how to get a balm on top of it.
Now, I'm not asking you to like this thing. But in the midst of it, I want to ask you, can you give thanks for it? Because it's the place where Jesus is going to meet you because in your weakness, His strength will be made perfect. Even now, can you just give thanks that God is with you in the quiet of your own heart and mind as we sit here? Can you give thanks that God is with you in the midst of the tension? Jesus, we welcome you into these spaces of our hearts. Thank you that you are enough. Thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, in this world of contradictions, we trust you. Renew us day by day. And in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. We're going to come now to the table where we practice being held by God. And I want to say two things in closing about community. One is this is... We practice being held by God right now at the communion table, but this community is the place where you hold one another. And if we can't do it with one another, it's going to be very difficult to do it with God or to let God hold us. Community is the place where of ultimate both ends, where though you are diverse and there's different opinions and points of view, that it's not agreement that makes you a community but it's being in the tension, it's being in the both ends of we're different, and yet in Christ, we're one. That's what we're going to celebrate now as we come to the communion table.